Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. I believe nature is essential for our life, so I think biofix design needs to be introduced not only in architectural space, but also in urban development. I was surprised to learn that the wind from the waterfall, the, the air movement from the waterfall, moves the plants in a pattern in a way they also measured to determine that it mimics nature. It's very close to what exactly occurs in nature. Making artificial waterfall with keeping acoustic comfort. The challenge with an artificial waterfall is how to balance its dynamic natural beauty with acoustic comfort. This is Detailed, an original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Sharice Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. Welcome to Detailed. The voices you heard in our opening were our guests, James Scott Brew, Associate Architect, Kamatsu Yoshiaki, Director Landscape Architect, and Inoue Mizuki, Acoustic Engineer from Nikken Sakai, an architectural planning and engineering firm from Japan with headquarters in Chiyoda, Tokyo. James Scott Brew is a Senior Resilience and Wellness Architect with Nikken Sakai in Tokyo, Japan, where he specializes in helping to create healthy and more sustainable buildings that achieve greater resilience for people in companies, campuses, and communities. Komatsu Yoshiaki is a landscape architect with Nikken Sakai in Osaka, Japan, where he specializes in environmental building projects that make masterful use of special greening technologies, as well as landscape design for offices, educational facilities, hotels, commercial facilities, and parks. Inoue Mizuki is an acoustic engineer with Nikken Sakai in Tokyo, Japan, where she specializes in not only designing music facilities like concert halls and recording studios, 
but also offices, schools, and libraries from the viewpoint of acoustics. The project we are going to chat about today is the JR Kumamoto Railway Station building in Kumamoto, Japan. Before we get started, don't forget to take a look at the project photos and drawings as you listen along. You can click the link in our show notes or visit www.arcat.com podcast. In April 2016, the region of Kumamoto was struck by a devastating earthquake, resulting in numerous buildings collapsing and catching on fire. Government officials estimated more than 8,050 homes were destroyed and more than 24,000 buildings received significant damage. The rebuilding of the city and the highly anticipated opening of the JR Kumamoto Railway Station building by Nikin Sakai was seen as a symbol of recovery and rebuilding after mass tragedy for the people of Japan. The JR Kumamoto Station building is a new commercial building complex located right in front of the JR Kumamoto Station in Kumamoto, Japan. And it's a mixed-use TOD project, I guess you'd call it in America, about 929,000 square feet in total. It includes retail, wow. restaurants. Yeah, it's big. A hotel. There's extra projects. There's even housing and, and whatnot around this project that's in addition to what we worked on. And it was completed in 2021 and developed by the railway company, Kyushu Railway Company and JR Kumamoto City Company Limited. So a lot of people don't really know this about Japan. Japan in total size, if you put all its islands together, is about the same size as California with about 40% of the population of America. So a little bit smaller than California. Wow. Yeah. And we have over 8,500 train stations. So imagine if California had 8,500 train stations all connected. And many of these train stations are just what I call pass-through stations. You wouldn't be interested in staying there very long. You go in or you go out. But there are a few really special stations, and I think this might be one of them. Kyushu is one of the big islands of Japan, the southerly most of the four main islands. And Kyushu is pretty well known for its dramatic mountains, its volcanoes, uh, natural areas, beaches, hot springs. But in 2016, there was a huge earthquake or a series of earthquakes that devastated the area. I mean, hundreds of deaths and thousands injured, many buildings and infrastructure damaged. And this project was sort of established to not only revitalize the area a little bit after an earthquake, but to bring people back and serve as a symbol of hope for the community to kind of, it's a beacon actually at night, if, if you could see it in, in the evening. But the space inside is what makes this project really special. When you enter, you're in a large eight-story atrium that's just completely filled with greenery and three waterfalls running through glass and stone. And you feel like you're in the kind of Kumamoto region forest. And I think Komatsu-san will tell you more about the plants and the species. And I'm sure Mizuki-san will talk about the acoustical design in that space. But it's really a unique, unique experience to see this kind of station. And because I think Mizuki-san was involved, part of Niken's team designed using 
AI software to capture through social uh, networking services, people's impression of not only this station, but also other stations so that we could compare and see what people thought about this experience. It's, I think in Japanese, it's called Boken no Mori. Is that right? Boken no Mori. And that's adventure forest. And sometimes I call 3D garden or vertical garden, but it's really an adventure forest if you look at the images of it. As James mentioned, the building visually serves as a beacon. It is a 12-story building plus a basement built as a glass box. It is intended to resemble a lantern and stands as a symbol for hope and reconstruction. The lantern concept is reinforced at the ceilings of each floor where they are treated with louvered wood. Dynamic alternating volumes highlight various functions of the building. As guests approach the station building, a sizable roof protrudes out onto the plaza to provide shade from the direct sun. Above, it operates as a 15 by 30 meter terrace with a mist distribution system, pop-up tents, and an event space that is perfect for kids to play and unwind. I thought it looked like fun. J.R. Kayushu's goal was to build this city center for people to live, work, and visit. An important element of that goal was to develop it sustainably. Komatsu-san shares his insight into finding balance between nature and the urban landscape. Sustainable development is also important. Recently in the city, there is not enough greenery. I believe nature is essential for our life. So I think biofic design needs to be introduced not only in architectural space, but also in urban development. I think public spaces are surrounded by high-rise buildings that always in the shade is not good. Therefore, a similar approach to the Kumamoto Station building is important for urban de development in the city center. We believe that biofic design, which integrates urban space and nature, will play an important role in many spaces in the future. It's really interesting, Sharice, because I, I grew up on Lake Superior, the biggest freshwater lake in the world, and my backyard was the second largest city-owned forest in the country, which I got lost in uh, several times in my life, even as an adult. And coming to Tokyo, moving to Japan, is the opposite of that in many ways. However, I've adapted, and it's really interesting to me, even my three-year-old finds the smallest of green spaces to be very influential on us. I mean, we call places in the city near our home, just minutes walking, the tree, what you say, the tree, a tree, the bamboo forest. There's a, just a narrow bamboo forest right along a walking street against a building wall. But if you saw the pictures of my daughter standing there, she just loves to go into that bamboo and grab onto it. And she talks about going there, just again, one minute walking from our door. But these small green spaces are really, really important to people. And they're all over Japan. I found myself photographing them recently, just because they're so well done that you look at them and they're so manicured and so beautiful and yet natural in appearance. They don't look fake. And they do, we do need more. I think Komatsu-san is right. We do need more green spaces. Tokyo is doing pretty well, but I feel like 
we need to connect spaces like from this station to this station. For example, they abandoned railway lines often in Japan to put them underground. Niken was involved in moving a line here at my station, my home station, Shimoki Tezawa, the world's coolest neighborhood, by the way, named three times. <laughs> Seriously. And they moved the line down below grade. And now the whole former ground was converted to a pedestrian walk with lots of trees and bamboo and growing things and seeding, which is my pet peeve in Japan. We need more seeding for the oldest population on earth by percentage. And these little pop-up shops came and they have just made this railway place a place where people now come as a destination. And I think that's what this project symbolizes now is a destination place for people to go to meet, to hang out, maybe shop or eat, but really a place where they just feel incredibly comfortable. The JR Kumamoto Railway Station building utilizes a concept called biophilic design. But biophilic design is simply the practice of connecting people and nature. That's it. And I think it's very familiar to people with lead experience or if you're more advanced and you've used the well building standard, these have elemental requirements for biophilic design. Even just outdoor views and daylight coming in are two biophilic design strategies. Now, this project is all about nature. The, the, the order from the client was really, you know, we want a, something special, a place people want to be again, but we also want to show the natural environment of the Kumamoto region and let people enjoy that who maybe don't get out of the city, you know, don't escape the urban core that often. And so I think this idea is really important in public spaces, offices, commercial buildings, but certainly also in our homes and outdoor and urban environments as well. And here's one interesting thing, you know, water is an element core to biophilic design as are plants and, and just nature in general. But one of the other projects we did that won this same award, honorable mention in 2017, has absolutely no greenery in the building except for a single tree on the top floor filled with, in a glass, eight meter diameter room, glass room filled with 10,000 honeybees. <laughs> but they escaped through the roof. Now that building, you walk through that whole building and I felt it was the most biophilic building I'd ever seen until Kumamoto Station was completed, but there's not a plant anywhere. And why is that? How can you feel biophilic design without nature? It's through patterns, color, materials, systems, everything that we are biologically tuned to sort of receive naturally. Like when humans were evolving, for example, bright color, knowing where that bright red tree in the autumn was where the apples grew or that certain colored berry was something you shouldn't eat because people die. Uh, we're hardwired for that. And so when you bring those patterns, colors, shapes, even angled walls and circular stairs all resonate with us at a core level. So this building didn't have to do that because it had so much nature in right inside. It's special in that way. The square in front of Kumamoto Station is a sample of biophilic design as it blurs the conventional boundaries between train station and park. 
but it is the facility's centerpiece that truly demonstrates the possibilities of biophilic design. Recently recognized for the International Living Future Institutes, or ILFI, Stephen Keller Biophilic Design Award, the JR Kumamoto Railway Station building features a large indoor garden of water, waterfalls, and greenery that extends from the ground all the way to the seventh floor. We always try to create authentic landscape design and that are related to the region. So we research the history, culture, and environmental condition of the project site. Then we learn the context of the landscape design. After that, we create the landscape concept, which is understandable and familiar. On this project, we created a concept referring to water flow in Kumamoto. Therefore, we created a water basin on ninth floor and three different waterfalls in a vertical indoor garden with present greenery. Uh, we used native plants which grow in the mountain of Kumamoto and used stone made of volcanic ash from the region of Kumamoto. Yeah. To create a landscape that represents Kumamoto, the land of water, Komatsu-san and his team took on the challenge of capturing the essence and distinctive nature of the region through dozens of native plants. The main challenge with this project was how to bring nature into the building. We struggled with how to plan and design the eight-story vertical planting and waterfall to thrive. In nature, plants thrive and grow by finding the appropriate location to live. This project is an indoor vertical garden, and so there isn't enough sunlight. The plants had to be carefully located to have the optimal growing environment. So we focused daylight simulation. This was used to understand where each species and plant type should be located and to closely match their natural environment. This is how we ensured the correct planting design. I cannot say it well enough, Cerise, but you would love working in Japan because of the amount of testing and evaluation that is done before any design solution is ever like implemented into a project. It's not what I would call maybe pre-commissioning or anything like that, but literally full-scale mock-ups. And I think Komatsu-san was involved in plant test growing plants under different lighting conditions for over a year outside of Tokyo, which is quite far, quite far from Kumamoto, by the way. And they did that because of knowing that this eight-story vertical garden would have different daylight conditions and, of course, have to survive at night and need artificial lighting support that would be at different illumination levels. So unbelievable the amount of evaluation, including going out to the forest to measure the sound of existing waterfalls. Unbelievable. The team aimed to bring nature to the people. Water was another major component of that design. The journey of the water begins at a water basin located on the ninth floor. There are three waterfalls that flow through the glass and stone walls from the eighth level to the first floor. These waterfalls eventually combine to form a 10-meter-high waterfall. 
indoors. You can imagine there were some challenges to pulling that one off. Making artificial waterfall with keeping acoustic comfort. The challenge with an artificial waterfall is how to balance its dynamic natural beauty with acoustic comfort. Yeah, we wanted to make artificial waterfall natural as possible, but natural waterfall is too noisy for people in the building. Yeah, so it was challenge. Yeah. If you've ever been in a space where it's too loud to have a conversation, whether it's a concert or something else where you, but you want to talk with people, you realize how annoying it can be to not be able to have a conversation. And so I think. Mizuki-san, your work was really important because they understand as acoustical engineers what levels of sound and what frequencies of sound people are annoyed by or not annoyed by, feel real comfort and are able to sit calmly and enjoy or read or relax and have a conversation. Just so interesting that you're able to sort of not only simulate that before, but measure it and make sure that it's working that way when you finished. And I think I was surprised to learn that the wind from the waterfall, the, the air movement from the waterfall, moves the plants in a pattern in a way they also measured to determine that it mimics nature. It's very close to what exactly occurs in nature. The natural waterfalls some level is around 90 decibels. 90 decibel is like staying in a jet plane. So, yeah, you cannot yeah, stay there. So, we need to reduce the sound level by using a urban plastic mat mm. under the waterfall to reduce the sound. I think she told me they tested a series of products to find a way to attenuate the sound of the waterfall as it hits the water from the largest waterfall, which is over 30 feet, 32 feet. And they ended up, yeah, with this woven plastic mat. I, I haven't actually seen the mat, but I believe it's something like that product we use in masonry wall, cavity walls, is what I imagine. Yeah. Kind of a, when she describes a woven plastic mat. I don't know, how, how thick is that mat? It's about uh, 25 millimeter. Oh, one inch. Before the construction phase, we made full-scale 10 meter high mock-up of the waterfall. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and testing of the flow rate of the waterfall and many variations of the waterfall edge condition. It was made with desired flow rate and edge condition determined. Sound measures measurements were made. The resulting volume of result was 80 decibel. It was still loud. So yeah, we tried to put urban plastic mud under the waterfall. And we found that it became 70 dB, 70 decibel around the waterfall. Yeah, 70 decibel sound environment we can make conversation but we feel it's still big mm. yeah but we can make conversation the water usage for a waterfall begs the question 
Is there a trade-off for sustainability? This doesn't have to be energy intensive and doesn't have a huge consumptive use of water. It's pretty minimal, but we have not on this project measured the energy performance against the sort of biophilic design or compared or contrasted or somehow tried to shape that story. However, biophilic design, if we take it in the office context, not a public space like this, has a huge impact on the way people feel about their workplace. And over 90% of global workers involved in a survey conducted in 2015 said that the the quality of their office environment, yeah, it just, it simply affects their work performance. In, in other words, productivity. And so if we look at productivity and why do programs like LEAD and WELL and the Living Building Challenge all have elemental requirements around biophilic design, it's because the payback is huge. When people like their job because they have a friend at work or they love their new office environment or they somehow feel better when they're at work, they want to come to work. And it's the same, Nika and Seke just finished a renovation of our building. We've been doing it floor by floor over time, but we just did the lower three floors. And it's this new public, I call it controlled collision space, where all of our office people can come together and it is just wildly cool. It has a virtual reality lab, augmented reality lab, has all kinds of products, systems, books, library, and cool organic spaces, lots of plants. And we are, I think, going to be able to bring clients there and just have simple sit-down meetings with a cafe. There's also a cafe in there and use it in kind of a work-style work controlled collisions. In addition to benefits for occupants, James shared a story that encapsulates the benefits of biophilic design in a retail setting. Do you remember the story of the first green Walmart in America? I think it was in the late 80s, early 90s. And it was in a book by Joseph J. Rahm, I think was the author, called Lean and Clean Management, Reducing Pollution While Increasing Profits, something like that. In any case, they, they talked about this Walmart in Lawrence, Kansas, of all places. And there were some skylights put onto this Walmart. Now, I've never been in a Walmart, but I can imagine because they're a big box what it might look like inside just a bunch of fluorescent lights at the time in the 90s. And in any case, the, this area that had skylights underneath it, because every Walmart in the country is connected to the home office. So all sales are registered instantly in the home office. And the home office was calling Lawrence, Kansas and saying, we've got a problem. Men's socks are selling, you know, at three times the rate of socks anywhere in the country. And they couldn't figure out why. So they did an audit and determined, no, this was the actual sales. Sooner or later, the managers figured out that whatever was underneath the skylights, whether it was, you know, pantyhose or men's underwear, whatever, they ended up selling at a rate higher than anywhere else. So daylight, this impact of daylight was first really understood to have an effect on retail sales. And so that's when we began to connect this idea of nature and human, again, connection. So relates to how we feel, how we behave what we purchase, and so on. Looking at the design for the J.R. Kumamoto Railway Station building, I imagine this space has had a positive impact on both the businesses within and the people that visit. In fact, 
To get a sense of user impact, Nick and Sakai did their own social media analysis to understand how the public received the building. We tried to get the user's feedback by analysis by analysis of social network service reviews. We were always talking with owners or building, not with users. But how users feel are most important for us. So we came up with using social media networks like Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we made original programs to analyze the text and find relationship with building and words. Using these programs, we found that the words beautiful, new, comfort are uh, used in reviews of this Kumamoto Station building. To compare with Kumamoto Station building, we also analyzed the other shopping centers in Kumamoto, and we found the words intimacy and noisy often used for shopping center. So we think we can say that users' feelings of for Kumamoto Station building is very unique. It's pretty unique to see an eight-story, three-dimensional living garden and adventure forest inside a public train station. On top of that, multiple indoor waterfalls, designed, simulated, and built to ensure it would be low maintenance and a pleasing space for occupants to enjoy. Before we close out this episode, I always try to gain some additional insight from our guests about the greater industry. For this group, I found some of their upcoming work fascinating, which had unique lessons for the industry. Yeah, uh, for me, I will improve our programs of analyze SNS reviews to yeah, find, uh, to get user feedback. And I want to use the result to design. Yeah. And I'm now working on the toilet project. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did you just, did you just say toilet project? Yeah, toilet okay. project. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's correct. Yeah, now I'm considering the make soundscape on the toilet. Yeah, because now in Japan, the gender toilet for all gender is now spreaded. Yeah, it's, it is very big change in Japan. Right. Yeah, so I think it is very important. And the biggest difficulty is sound. Yeah, as you know, yeah, we have otohime in Japan. <laughs> yeah, you don't know, maybe. It is sound masking system to cover up the sound of bathrooms because yeah, people don't want, don't want to hear the sound. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, our new toilet rooms on that third floor I described are pretty amazing. Ah, yes. (laughs) They're, first of all, gender neutral. And you're shocked at first. You don't see men, women signs, which, you know, is, Mm -hmm. of course, common in Japan to see. But but then you go into each of these rooms is different. 
and the lighting experience, the sound, it's just mm -hmm. really unique. Yeah. I mean, you would be shocked. Of course, if you haven't seen a Japanese toilet in the first place with all the buttons and knobs and nozzles, then that, <laughs> that might be shocking enough. But, but yeah, so it's really interesting to hear you say an acoustical engineer working on toilet design. I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. In our landscape of our Osaka team, we have a lot of projects, especially now, our Grand Green Osaka project is under construction. This project is park and urban development project. It's located in front of Osaka Station. Yeah, so in this project has a 4.5 hectare park involved in the center of the urban landscape project. Yeah, so I believe this park changed Osaka City comfortably. Yeah, we work with famous landscape architect, GGN. GGN, yeah. It will be completed next year. Do you think that we're going to be doing more and more and more of this, more green spaces inside of buildings? Do you think it will become just the way to do buildings at some point? Yeah, we are afraid of uh, climate change and uh, we need to uh, develop the sustainable development. So, um, and uh, we need to create uh, more and more green space in the city. Yeah, so I believe in the future there are a lot of green city, a green city and uh, urban development. I believe the urban development is increasing natural in environment involved. I think it's needed indoors too, Komatsu-san, because, because quite frankly, it's one of the things that is bringing me back to the office. It's not just because that's where I work or I'm supposed to be for work. We can work remotely for a certain amount of our time, of course, like anybody, I think, today after COVID. But in Japan, even the environment we just created at Nikken's third floor office space I talked about earlier, I think it just, it's a place I want to be now. I want to go there. I don't even go to any regular floor. We're all free address anywhere. You can sit on any floor in the building. And there's some pretty nice places to sit that are fairly biophilic. But I just go to that third floor because... There's so much plants there and nature and wood and patterns and colors. The virtual lab 3D space, just you can do anything in there, you know, from materials to, I think you could create a forest in that 3D environment if you wanted to, an artificial one, albeit. But man, what a great space to hang out. And it's because of the biophilic patterns. I really enjoyed this conversation with James, Mizuki-san, and Komatsu-san. I hope this episode sparks a new idea, helps you solve a problem that you've been working through, or inspires the mark that you want to leave on this world on your path to world domination. I want to continue to seeking the unique sound environment, and I want to be have a variation the sound environment good or not but i want to make a variation by characteristics of each sound environment it is not good or bad i want to explain each sound environment by another world
I really want to create the authentic landscape place and I want to regenerate the nature in the city. Uh, so I will create a lot of nice public space that are related to the region. In those space, we can feel nature and culture. So I believe these public space make us happy. Coming off of just training our new recruits at Nikan, they get a lot of daunting news from me, usually about the climate crisis and some of the data points in our lifetime, as we've seen global sort of environmental degradation. And just in, just since the 1970s, we've lost over 52% of the mammals on Earth, for example. And there are so many negative stories out there about what's happening. I think my world domination statement today is going to be about hope. I hope to leave the world with more hope. And I, I try, although I don't always succeed, not to frighten my children and my family, but at the same time, we want to be realistic about how to deal with the climate and the solutions we come up with. And I think as design professionals, we truly are at connected points along the continuum to have not only insert our own hope into that, but to have an impact with that hope. In other words, to see ideas implemented that can affect people in positive ways. So I guess that's simple enough to say, but putting it to use and putting it to practice is also another thing. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, RCAT has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try RCAT and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.